Welcome to the Genealogy Gems Podcast. It's a show filled with family history research strategies and techniques, news and entertainment, and inspiration. And I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Hello and welcome to Genealogy Gems Podcast episode number 173. You know, I'm a little amazed to even be getting this episode recorded because for the last week, I've been moving into a new office. And if you've ever moved offices, you know what utter chaos it can create. It all seems like such a lovely idea when you first think about it and you envision getting things set up in a more functional way and having more room. But, oh, the reality is that it turns into sort of a comedy of errors, you know, when the printer cables aren't long enough and the furniture doesn't quite fit. Um, you know, I got a new desk, which I love. Um, it seemed to be exactly what I was looking for. Of course, until I got it home and I pulled out this nifty little keyboard tray that it has, you know, where it has it nice down, down a little bit lower and ergonomic. And all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, this desk is about an inch and a half too short. <laughs> I can't even get my legs under it. So after jacking up the desk and lengthening cords and all those other things, I think I actually will be very quite content in my new office. Uh, you may have actually seen what was my new office. It was featured in the Family Tree magazine a couple of months ago in 2014. But as it turned out, that office was like an echo chamber. So I switched with my husband, Bill, and now he has that office. And I have the bright, sunny, and most importantly, carpeted office. <laughs> and I'm hoping that that's going to result in better sound recordings. I, I can still hear a little bit of echo in here, though. So I may have to put, you know, bigger, heavier drapes on the, the windows or something to kind of soften things up. But once I got past the organization, what I really enjoyed doing was devoting some time to displaying family photos and artifacts, and you know, just kind of decorating the room. And it may seem frivolous. I know it did a little bit to my husband, but I think it's anything but frivolous. We spend a lot of time in our offices and you may have a home office. You might even just have a corner of a room where you can work on your genealogy. But considering the importance of the work that you're doing and the time that you're spending on it, I think it's time and effort well spent to put an effort into inspiring decorations and displays. So I've got my husband's grandfather's old royal typewriter set up behind me. And in front of me, I love this, I have um, some bookcases. And on the top, I have a display of old family cameras. Um, my dad's camera, my grandma's camera, even the old Kodak Instamatic M65 movie projector that my grandma used to show her old Kodachrome family movies on. So when I walk in this room, I kind of feel transported to an earlier time and I really feel inspired to discover more. So you can check out the show notes if you want to see some of the photos of some of the displays that I've had some fun putting together. You know, I think we really need a little inspiration now and then, don't we? Well, in this episode, I hope to bring you some inspiration from good books to inspiring comments from other listeners and to even some new ideas for you to try. So let's start out with those ideas to try. There's always something new out there. First up is Europeana for genealogy. It's a World War I digital archive and so much more. 
Europina is a digital doorway to European cultural heritage that everyone with European roots should browse. It's funded by the European Commission and Ministries of Culture in 21 member states. It's home to nearly 19 million images, 13 million texts. Those include books, archival papers, and newspapers, half a million each of sound and video files, and 16,000 3D models of objects. A major part of Europina is this World War I digital archive. Now, the way the site describes it is that Europina has been running World War I family history roadshows around Europe, helping to digitize people's stories, documents, and memorabilia from 1914 to 1918. People have been able to upload their own digitized items onto the europeana1914-1918.eu site. And of course, 2014 is the centenary of World War I. It's 100,000 images and scans have already come into Europeana, creating a virtual memory bank that reflects all perspectives on the conflict. And there is a sister site. It's called Europeana 1989. And that's where they collect stories, pictures, films relating to the events of 1989 in Central and Eastern Europe. So you can upload your own materials, or as the site says, let us take you on a journey through the fall of the Iron Curtain. See it from all sides and draw your own conclusions. The top countries to supply images to Europeana are Germany, France, and the Netherlands, each with more than three and a half million items. And then there's Spain, Sweden, Italy, and the UK. The site is popular. It attracted four million unique visitors last year. So you're going to want to head to Europeana and check it out. I'm going to have links for you in the show notes on how to get there. There's also a Europeana portal, and that's the search engine for the digitized collections. We'll have a link directly to that so that you can really explore it for yourself. And speaking of Europe, uh, there are more German genealogy records over at Ancestry.com. Nearly 12 million German genealogy records are nearly searchable on Ancestry.com. You're going to find these in more than 30 databases of civil registrations of births, marriages, residences, and deaths. And they fall between 1874 and 1950. Some of the highlights, around a million each of births and deaths for Berlin and about 2 million marriages, over a million parish register transcripts from Pomerania and Mecklenburg, Western Pomerania, and some are updates to existing records, and over 300,000 records of the Rhineland Palatinate area, family registers, marriages, and immigration registers, and over a million vital records for Saxony. So you can check those out at Ancestry.com, and we'll have a link in the show notes to get you directly to each of those data sets. And of course, to find our show notes, you just go to genealogygems.com, um, hover your mouse over podcast and click on Genealogy Gems Podcast. And then you can follow the links to this episode. It's number 173. And of course, if you have our Genealogy Gems app, which is by far the easiest and best way to um, listen to the show and follow along with us on your mobile device, you'll have the show notes right there at your fingertips. Now, not everything is happening in Europe. We do have some new record collections here in the U.S., 
Ancestry has also just announced that uh, Indiana genealogy records are going to be digitized for the website. In a recent article over at the IndianaPublicMedia.org website, uh, they reported that more than 13 million Indiana genealogy records are going to be digitized and put online at Ancestry.com. And it's great because they are picking up the tab. Some of the records going online are early 20th century birth and death certificates and marriage records since 1958. And according to the report, it would take the state a decade and over $3 million to digitize the records. So Ancestry coming along and offering to do the work is really a godsend for both the state and those who want to use the records. The deal gives Hoosier residents the first free access to the digitized records, and that's going to be on site at the state archives. Then three years after the project is completed, which should happen around 2016, the state archives will offer records for free through its own website. Some of the records may still have confidentiality restrictions, so keep that in mind, but this still represents a really big step towards uh, all of those who are looking for ancestors in Indiana. And Ancestry is not the only one bringing new U.S. records to the web. Uh, Family Search has been busy. They are bringing the 1865 New York State Census to Family Search, uh, which is great news. So if your relatives lived in New York in the 1860s, this 1865 census is going to be invaluable. Just five years earlier, the 1860 U.S. Federal Census counted nearly 4 million people in its largest state. New York claimed two of the three biggest U.S. cities, New York City and Brooklyn, with a combined population of over a million. According to FamilySearch, the collection contains most of the 1865 New York State Census records still in existence. Ten schedules were filed for each locality, including population, marriages, and death schedules. The population schedule included the name, age, birthplace, and occupation of each household member. Most counties are covered, but some records were destroyed. This record's in a printed form that was filled in by hand by the enumerator, and the records are usually arranged by county and town. Several counties, as I mentioned, are missing from the data set, but it's got a hefty 2.5 million records. Over 60% of the population is counted in 1865. So check it out if you have Empire State Ancestors. We will have a link to that data set in the show notes. All right. Well, coming up next, I want to hear from you. We're going to do that at the mailbox. From my old hometown One with some jokes From my old pal Jim Brown Bring me a letter From that girl of mine Saying that she's longing for me All the time Bring me a letter From my proud old dad that we are winning, and I bet he's glad, but more than any other, a line from my old mother. Bring me a letter from my hometown. 
Well, I've had a lot of great feedback from all of you. Thank you so much for writing in, for calling in in this mailbox segment. First up, Alvi wrote in. He says, I'm thoroughly enjoying the podcasts and videos. Recently, I drove to South Florida and I listened to the episode about Lizzie Milligan. It sure brought back lots of memories. Many years before I got heavy into genealogy, a co-worker of mine gave me a large box of postcards, which was passed to him by his grandmother. And these cards were mailed during the digging of the Panama Canal. And they were sent to his grandmother by her future husband from Panama. They were very interesting reading, but I had no use for them. So I turned them over to our local museum in Lakeland, Florida. Well, Alvi, perfect, you know, that you handed them off to somebody who could actually do something with them or get them into the right hands. And, you know, it's amazing when you think of how collections get separated from families. And yet they're not just a look at the relationships in the family, but they're, gosh, they're a look at history. I mean, think about the building of the Panama Canal. I know I have a whole collection of letters, not postcards, but letters um, between my grandparents. And a lot of that was devoted to the time that my grandfather spent helping to build Hoover Dam. So, you know, each family has a little place in history, don't we? And uh, Alvi was talking about, of course, um, Project Lizzie, which we talked about in a previous episode. So that was a ton of fun. And I'm looking forward to hearing in the future how that project is going. And Kay wrote in, she said she loves my heritage too. You know, a couple of episodes ago, I was sharing my experience in finally getting in touch with some German relatives. Um, it's been a long time coming, you know, researching my German Prussian great grandparents. And I know my grandmother always kind of wondered what happened to everybody back in Germany. And to be able to make that contact so easily through my heritage was just incredible. Well, here's what Kay wrote. She said, I love this podcast today. I listened while I walked my three-mile loop. Just wanted to share a MyHeritage story. I had uploaded a small JEDCOM at least a couple of years ago, and i never done much with it. They had no record matching to speak of in the beginning, and all the family matches were to persons who had much less information about the families than I did. However, at Roots Tech last winter, I talked to one of their reps, and she's talking about MyHeritage, of course being at RootsTech, told him I would probably just let my subscription run out. He convinced me to try uploading a larger file, get the data subscription, and in fact offered me a free three months to try again. So I really couldn't say no. Now a bit of background. I lived in Alabama for several years and probably about 15 years ago, the newspaper had published an extended article about the Sultana disaster the steamboat that exploded on the Mississippi River near Memphis on 27 April 1865 with the loss of some 1,600 lives. Oh my gosh. The Cahaba prison where so many of those unfortunate men on the Sultana had come from was only about 15 miles from us. At that point, I'd never really heard of it, but I became quite fascinated and interested in the story and read everything I could find. I discovered that most of the released Union prisoners who died on the Sultana were from Indiana, Illinois, and Ohio, and knew that I had family in Indiana during the war, but didn't think there was any personal connection. After I began to work with my heritage again, up popped a Kokomo Daily Tribune newspaper obituary of the brother-in-law of one of my paternal great-grandfathers who died in 1925 in Howard County, Indiana. And there it was. He had been on the Sultana, 
and had suffered serious burns, the result of which remained problematic for the rest of his life. It was thought that infection from the old burn wounds were the ultimate cause of his death. In fact, he had been reported as dead to his family because of the unbelievable chaos that surrounded the rescues. What joy there must have been when he did return home. I always wonder when this sort of serendipity happens. Was I always fascinated by this saga? Because I knew that somehow there was a family story involved? Anyway, I too have become a believer in my heritage. The brother-in-law never applied for a pension or otherwise mentioned his service, and I had the information about where he was buried. As a collateral relative, he wasn't really a person I'd spent much research time on. I probably never would have done a thorough newspaper search, but there it was, nicely found for me and connecting to another bit of history. Ah, fantastic story, Kay. Um, And that's I mean, that's amazing. And I think that is kind of a case of genealogical serendipity, isn't it? I mean, isn't it interesting how we can just start zeroing in on something or just being compelled and drawn to it only to discover that there's a connection there? Just makes you wonder, doesn't it? Maybe the ancestors want us to reconnect all those dots. Good for you for doing it. And I'm not surprised that my heritage was able to help you. That's awesome. And we so appreciate them being a sponsor here of the podcast. That's fantastic. All right. Well, let's move on to another area of inspiration. How about inspiring amazing new books to read and some conversation about our featured book in the new Genealogy Gems Book Club? That's coming up next with our contributing editor, Sunny Morton. From my proud old dad Who knows that we are winning And I'll bet he's glad For more than any other A line from my old mother Bring me a letter From my hometown I've got some great news for all you genealogists out there. Roots Magic 6 is now available and it offers some of the most customer requested features like online publishing, the ability to search every record, not just people, an editable timeline view, which is really incredible, and new web tags, which lets you link people, sources, places, and research log items to web pages. Plus, dozens of other great enhancements, and of course, all the built-in features that you've come to enjoy. There is a little something here for everyone. Now, if you're already a devoted Roots Magic user like I am, or if you're looking to take the next step in your family history research and finally start recording your family tree in your own genealogy database, or if you've just been wanting to make a switch to a much more user-friendly program, there's no better time to get your copy of Roots Magic 6. Do it now. Go to rootsmagic.com and download your risk-free trial of Roots Magic 6. You'll see why professionals and beginners alike choose Roots Magic at rootsmagic.com.
Well, I am excited to say it is time for the Genealogy Gems Book Club segment. And here is our resident guru, Sunny Morton. Hi, Sunny. Hello, Lisa. It's nice to be back. I am so excited to do this. I mean, there's just been such a fabulous response to the Genealogy Gems Book Club. And I think this is um, something that the the listeners and our readers have been emailing me about and suggesting books. And the response to our initial launch has been fantastic. It's so exciting to all get together and talk about our featured book. Now, we have our featured book, but we also have a couple of other books that you've been recommending. And I want to chat about those and get some more recommendations from you. But let's start with She Left Me the Gun, My Mother's Life Before Me. And that's by Emma Brocks. Chances are, I know many people have already picked up the book. Let's kind of dig into the first half. What are some of your thoughts on the book? Okay, so what I will tell you about something that I really loved about this book is when I read history or historical fiction, and I'm coming as a totally geeky genealogy (laughs) researcher, I think you'll appreciate this approach. When I read history or historical fiction, I look for evidence that they are in fact telling me a real story. You know, it's the researcher in me. I can't help myself. It's like, ooh, how did you know that? Or are you just guessing that? Or is this this real? Are you just um, sort of making assumptions? Or are you connecting Uh the dots? You know, that kind of thing. So, of course, once you start reading historical fiction and memoir and even some history books, they don't include citations in the text, right? There's no footnotes. They just say things like, based on the life of so-and-so, or based on years of research in, you know, responsible documents that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So when I read a book that's not sourced, I think of this book like a body with none of its bones showing, right? Like a a skeleton. I look for glimpses of the skeleton of evidence that supports the story, the skeleton that I don't really see as I'm reading the book. Does that make sense? It's a great analogy. Yeah. Okay. So, and I I remember doing that um, particularly with uh, Elizabeth Schoen Mill's book, uh, Isle of Canes, that she wrote a few years ago, Mm -hmm. which is a really fun read. But, you know, I know she's this amazing researcher and I'm just, I'm like peeking behind her sentences like, okay, oh, oh, I just see, I just saw a census entry show up there. She didn't say so, (laughs) but I know she got that from the census, right? And so the kinds of uh, details that show up in these books that tell you the kinds of sources they're using. So Emma Brocks is a journalist and she is telling a story of research and discovery. So she cares a lot about her sources as a journalist, but she's writing a memoir Mm. and you don't footnote memoirs. So she handles it a really cool way. She just very casually mentions her sources in the text itself. So she, she'll say, oh, you know, I found this, I discovered this here in the court records, and then she'll um, copy some of that in, or she'll, she'll, and of course, you have all the conversations, all the oral history interviews with her relatives and things like that. But one of my favorite passages about one of her sources is about her mother's address book. Have you ever used an address book as a genealogical source before? You know, it's interesting because I saw that, and I have both my grandmother's address books, which is very strange. And and on one of them, it's one of those metal green flip up yeah, ones, yeah. you know, <laughs> and it was interesting to see her scratching out some names and adding in other names. And it is, I think it's a fascinating genealogical document. So if you think about an address book that has been used over the period, like you said, scratching out over the period of many, many years, you're going to see a book that, that changes as the family and friends dynamics change. 
Exactly. So Emma describes her mother's address book as one that's just falling apart at the seams after years of use. And it has scribbled updates all over it that she says just look like hieroglyphics. Right. Mm -hmm. So she says there are birth dates in there. There are death dates. There are name and address changes. And then one of my favorite sentences in the book, she writes, and this is a quote. I see that a great many arrows were needed when her brother, Tony, married his own son's mother-in-law. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you know, doesn't this sort of just reflect the, the complicated messiness that our family lives are? over time. It's so true. And it's, and, it's tr- and it's true that those address books is not on the typical genealogical list of um, sources, but it's like, a, it's like a person's life, you know, contained in this one document. It's just, it, it's fascinating. I love that she used that. I do too. I think it's a perfect place to look for your sort of immediate family history and then all of their, your friends from over the course of a lifetime. You know, I remember when my grandma, she remarried late in life and I was afraid when I, when I went to put that in my own address book and I still do have a print address book, um, mm-hmm. I was afraid that I wouldn't remember her new last name. <laughs> I hope she doesn't <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> But I was, it went from McClellan to Allen, and I was afraid I wouldn't remember that immediately. Now, I, right. now her name is Ellen Allen. How, you know, how memorable <laughs> is that? It is very memorable, and I have remembered it. But I was so afraid that I wouldn't remember her new last name that I kept her updated entry under the last name I'd called her by for my entire life. So that, you know, there is documentation in there of, of marriages and name changes, and mm-hmm. under my maiden name. So, I mean, when I think about it, yeah, that's a good place to look for family history. A great place. And it makes me feel not so guilty now that I, I just changed offices. You know, right? I just moved to a new uh-huh. office and I opened one drawer and there was stacks of, I had the old uh, Covey books, oh, you yeah. know, where you, <laughs> and they were all like three hole punch, but really small. And each one, each year I would take out the calendar and the contact list. And I would redo it because I'm just that way. And I put rubber bands around it, but I've got this stack of years of these covey entries of um, not only the addresses, but the calendar that went with that yes. year. And now I don't feel so guilty. I'm going to hang on to them all. <laughs> you should. My mother actually did that for several years. She loves yeah. to keep a diary, but she doesn't really, that's not really part of the rhythm of her life anymore uh-huh. is, you know, long introspective passages. And so she went to um, a big yearly calendar kind of book and she would write very short passages in every day. And she has kept those as diaries. That's exactly the way I did it. Well, and that's sometimes that's all you can do when yeah. you're raising kids, uh-huh. and, you know, so busy. So I think that is a gem that comes out of this book. Absolutely. The use of that. What what else struck you in this first half of the book? Um, you know, the story is building and you kind of see what's mm-hmm. coming. And I, I'm not going to give you a spoiler, but I will tell you that some of the topics are hard. Um, yeah. Family histories are messy sometimes and you sort of see it coming but you're sort of flinching and closing your eyes like you do, in a, like I do in a movie where I know I'm about to see something I'm not sure I'm about to see. Um, but she is so compelling that she really, Emma knows how to tell a story and she knows how to pull us in and, and be okay taking uh-huh. on the burden of knowledge that she's about to give us. She, because she introduces us to all these people that she cares about and we end up caring about them too. Yeah, and that makes for such... Amazing reading because we do. It's like it's like when you watch a TV show or a movie. It's like if, if I don't care about them, oh, so what? You know, and and you really do. She, she is um, amazing that way. Yes. 
So I think that that's a, a particularly strong part of the, the first half of the book is how she really just pulls us into the story and makes us okay with the revelations we can see coming. Well, and it's really no surprise that Emma is an amazing storyteller as well as researcher because um, I don't know if I mentioned this before in the podcast, but it's Steve Luxenberg, our friend Steve, who wrote Annie's Ghosts, who's been here on the podcast. I know so many of you listening loved his book. I know I was riveted. And of course, our conversation with him, um, he was the one who referred Emma to Genealogy Gems. And uh, they are colleagues. And boy, you just see that amazing style. It's it's all the best pieces coming together. You know, journalist, historian, um, uh, family member, storyteller, yeah. all that stuff just coming together in one book. It's, it's exciting to see. Well, and it's exciting to me. This, this particular community we're creating here with our Genealogy Gems book club is really exciting to me. I think there are a lot of family historians out there who are always looking for something good to read. And that they like history. They like things that are meaty about families and family dynamics and relationships and intergenerational. Why does the past matter? How does it affect us now? Uh, Mm -hmm. Those kinds of things. And I think it's really fun to create this community where we can come together and say, well, I read this and it's not filed under genealogy at my local library. (laughs) I never would have it unless somebody else who likes the same things I do would have said this is a great read. And I'm hoping that everyone out there listening is is thinking as they're reading these books, who could we share this book with who's not a genealogist yeah. in my family? Because we're all struggling to kind of, you know, pique the interest of our non-genealogy relatives to make sure that all of this amazing information passes on to the generations. And I think that a book like this that um, shows the mystery and the story and uh, just so much compelling reading that brings that across to somebody who isn't a genealogist, they can maybe kind of appreciate then what we do and how it kind of does fit into life. And um, I also really appreciate this book because it is a difficult topic, you know, and um, having abuse in family. And it's packed with enough, like you say, kind of good, solid information and research that if you have to, to kind of get through it, you can also kind of put on your researcher hat and look at it, as you say, looking for the bones to kind of help you through the the, the really difficult passages and, and events that obviously uh, transpired in her family. Yeah. Okay, so we've been talking about everybody's reader suggestions in this this book club. So I'm just dying to share a couple more suggestions with you. Do we have time? (laughs) No, I know some people have contacted me. They've already finished the book, so they're looking for more. Tell us what you've got in your mind. Okay, so I have a couple, and I'm going to start with some listener book recommendations that have been piling up here in my inbox. Um, We've been collecting them here at Genealogy Gems for a couple years now. I know Lisa's been sitting on several, and she shared some with me. Um, I would like to share a couple of those with you. You can find links to them in the show notes on the website. So here's one. I'll start with one that's kind of a similar theme, um, totally different topic of secrets in a mother's past and the the kind of mother-daughter relationship. Um, It was recommended by one of our listeners, Mary. She said, I just ordered this book and thought you might be interested in reading it. I am looking forward to reading it myself. So I went and looked for a blurb on the book. And the, the book is called The Woman in the Photograph by, and I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Manny Feniger, M-A-N-I-F-E-N-I-G-E-R. So here's a little blurb. 
Manny Feniger wanted nothing to do with the relics of her mother's life before she escaped from Nazi Germany in 1936. But when the fall of the Berlin Wall exposed the buried secrets and startling revelations of her mother's past, she was drawn into an exploration of history and family, individuality and identity, mothers and daughters, that would change her life forever. Okay, I'm writing this one down. Okay, doesn't this sound good? I'm like, oh yeah. The list. Oh, yeah, yep. and see, that's one thing that we can do here. There's not going to be time to feature every marvelous book yes. and interview every single author that we want to read. But we do have time in some of these shorter segments like this and on our website, we can share some of these other suggestions that we won't be able to uh, feature full length. Absolutely. Thank you, Mary, for suggesting this yes. one. And as as Sunny mentioned, before we go on with the other titles, these are going to be on the book club page. Uh-huh. We have links there for you. They'll take you over to Amazon. You can get print copies, uh, digital copies, whatever. But we so appreciate, we've already seen that so many of you have been using the links on the book club. And th- that just gives us a little bit of um, support. We we get credit for that from Amazon. It doesn't cost you anything extra. In fact, you can save money because you can shop around within Amazon. Um, but it's helping to make all this book club possible. So we really appreciate your support on that. What's your next title? Okay, I have one more. And this comes from Mike. And he sent it a couple years ago in 2012. And this is so a listener suggestion. He says, here's Mike, I didn't forget you. (laughs) I hope (laughs) hold on to it. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. So Mike says, here's a book I found that you and your listeners might also enjoy. The Lost German Slave Girl is by John Bailey and recounts the story of a, of a poor emigrant family and what happens to one of the daughters. I found it fascinating. The story is nonfiction and takes place around New Orleans in the first half of the 19th century. There is much family research involved, some heart-wrenching descriptions of what the emigrants suffered, and delightful insights into New Orleans of that time period. It's the kind of research that we family historians love to do, but is more dramatic than many of the personal stories we work on. Doesn't that sound fun? I actually yes. read the library. I have it. It's sitting on my, my nightstand. So I'll be reading that here coming up. Um, but I just thought that those two particular books maybe will get us now through through the next couple months or so, <laughs> so through the holiday season. These just look like fantastic books. They sure are. And what else is going to be absolutely fantastic is your upcoming interview with Emma. She's going to be here on the podcast in our next episode. When a parent dies, you, the child, your relationship with their history changes almost overnight. It suddenly becomes much more relevant to you because you feel like you're the only one left who who is in a position to to remember it. So having never wanted to know anything about my mother's life, suddenly after her death, it seemed imperative to me to find out absolutely everything and to to remember her that way. It felt to me that I couldn't how, how how does one put it that I couldn't stake out the parameters of what I'd lost until I until I knew everything there was to know about her and of course there was this huge black hole in her background which I knew nothing about and Sunny you're also going to be announcing our next featured book correct for the first quarter I will and I'm not even going to give you a <laughs> 
I am not going to give you a hint, but I will tell you that it's fabulous. So I'm very excited. I'm excited for everyone to finally hear this interview that I did with Emma. You know, we do these interviews ahead of time to make sure that we we can promise, we can deliver on our promise to interview these authors. Um, so this one's ready and waiting for you in the wings. We will have another exciting book for the first quarter of 2015. And I think it's going to be an interview that all of you, even if you haven't read the book, you're really going to benefit by uh, Emma's storytelling and insight. And I'm guessing you'll be even uh, taking a second look if you haven't read it to maybe pick it up and enjoy it over the holidays. Um, This has just been so much fun. And I love chatting with you here on the podcast. And and thank you so much. We are really looking forward to the upcoming interview. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Our sponsor for this episode is My Heritage. Now, I know that you tune in to the Genealogy Gems podcast because you know that I'm going to carefully vet the products that come across my desk. And I'm only going to bring to this show the ones that I really think are the real gems. Well, MyHeritage.com is in that category. I've spent the last several months really digging into MyHeritage, and I found some powerful tools that I think you really need in your genealogy tool belt. First of all, they have over 70 million members worldwide. If you're serious about making connections in the country where your ancestors once lived, hands down, MyHeritage is the place that you want to be. Get your tree posted on their website and start to see the magic as they automatically match it up with other trees, not just with genealogists in the country where you live, but genealogists around the world. Then there's MyHeritage's unique and powerful search system. It's called Record Matches. It constantly calls 5 billion historical records for your family. It's the only family history interface out there using semantic analysis to search newspaper articles, books, and other free text documents. It's also the first to translate names between languages. And I personally like that the matches from the historical newspaper collection at MyHeritage, they show up towards the top of the results list. So visit MyHeritage.com. It's free to get started. So there's really no reason to wait. And there are billions of reasons to try it out. Visit MyHeritage.com. Diane Southerd, your DNA guide, and I'm grateful for another opportunity to talk some genetic genealogy with you here on Genealogy Gems. You may recall from our recent DNA discussion on the Genealogy Gems podcast, that's episode 168, that Ancestry.com recently discontinued their mitochondrial DNA and Y-DNA tests 
those are the two that trace our direct maternal and direct paternal lines to focus on the autosomal DNA, which delivers information about both your mother's and your father's side of your ancestral tree. Well, recently, I attended an all-day meeting hosted by Ancestry.com, a summit to talk about current trends and accomplishments at Ancestry DNA and ideas about the future of DNA testing at Ancestry.com. The meeting included a diverse group of Ancestry representatives, from CEO Tim Sullivan to members of the marketing, scientific, communications, and even computer science departments, as well as some of the top voices in genetic genealogy. It was an open and lively discussion, and I walked away with a few gems that I want to share with you today. In Ancestry DNA, the shaky leaf hints are meant to help you find a common ancestor between you and your DNA matches. The computer code behind the old hints was not very efficient. Lazy, in fact. It started at the bottom of your tree and the bottom of your matches tree and slapped on a shaky leaf at the first sign of a shared common ancestor. While this method worked for a large number of cases, it was leaving a lot of stones unturned. But... The IT guys at Ancestry have beefed up the computer power, allowing them to cover a much greater distance through our trees and the trees of our matches before making a judgment about the best place to assign that shaky leaf. The result? Better hints about how you and your match could be related. Remember, the leaf is still just a suggestion on how you and your match might be related. It is not a crystal ball. Here's some facts that you might want to know. Ancestry does store your DNA samples in a secure location. Ancestry spent months designing their own DNA collection kit. Ancestry was able to attract some of the brightest scientists in the field of population genetics because of you. You with your documented pedigree charts and your willingness to help move the science of discovering our ancestors forward. There is no question that the genetic genealogy industry is rapidly advancing, and our discussion with Ancestry certainly didn't disappoint. While I will be sharing with you in future posts about some of the exciting changes, I do want you to be ready for one that will be coming online fairly soon. It has to do with your matches. If you have been tested by Ancestry DNA, you may have been initially excited and then nearly immediately overwhelmed by the number of individuals listed in your match page, all claiming to have some kind of connection to you and your family tree. All three major genetic genealogy testing companies, Ancestry DNA, Family Tree DNA, and 23andMe, are using basically the same laboratory methods to glean information from your DNA. What differs is how they use that data to draw conclusions about your ethnic heritage and about your relationships to other individuals. As it turns out, Ancestry DNA has been reporting far more individuals as your relatives than it should have. You can think of it like this. You've sent out tickets in the form of your genetic code to an exclusive party where you, of course, are the star. However, you've lost the guest list and you're counting on the testing company to check the ticket of each guest before they enter your party to be sure they were really invited. Ancestry DNA was relatively new in the role of party bouncer, and in the interest of not turning away any VIP guests, they initially allowed guests to enter into your party who had... <gasps> forged tickets. But as Ancestry admits more guests, the experience it's gained in party monitoring is starting to show. 
You see, each of the forged tickets has some unique qualities that have started to send up red flags to the team of scientists at Ancestry DNA. They are now in the process of carefully documenting what each forged ticket looks like and tossing those unwanted guests out on their ear. The short of it. In the near future, your match list at Ancestry will be much shorter, which is good news to you, as it means only those invited genetic cousins will be around eating hors d'oeuvres and ready to talk about your shared common ancestry. Each testing company has its strengths and weaknesses. It was good to have a bit of insight into this one company and come to a greater understanding about why it is they do what they do. It's a great time to be in this young genetic genealogy industry with so much room to grow and change. I'll let you know when I find the next genetic gem. To get started making your DNA results work for you, check out my quick guides in the Genealogy Gems store. Additionally, if you would like a personal guided tour through your DNA test results in a consultation setting, I can teach you how to look for clues in your DNA to help you understand more about your family history and your heritage. Email me. I want to hear about your DNA testing experience. My email address is guide at yourdnaguide.com. Profile America, Thursday, November 13th. Even the most mundane items we take for granted have to be invented by someone. This month, 110 years ago, that someone was Connecticut inventor Harvey Hubble. In November 1904, he received a patent for the world's first detachable electric plug, the two, now sometimes three-pronged plug familiar to us today. Remarkable as it sounds, at the time, electric terminals would extend out from a wall, and any electrical device had to be hardwired to them, a time-consuming process with a chance of electrocution. Hubble was no one-hit wonder, as in the 1890s he created an electric switch and patented the pull chain electric light socket. Electrical supplies for builders and homeowners are available at nearly 29,000 locations in the U.S., including 6,500 home centers and 12,500 hardware stores. Profile America is in its 18th year as a public service of the U.S. Census Bureau. Well, thanks so much for taking time out to join me for Genealogy Gems podcast episode number 173. And as always, thanks to Diane Southerd, our DNA guide here at Genealogy Gems. You can find Diane's fantastic quick reference guides in the Genealogy Gems store at genealogygems.com. Click store in the menu and you'll find DNA quick reference guides. There's four of them now, a complete set. Getting started, why DNA, mitochondrial, and the one she just talked about today, autosomal. Each test has its strengths and weaknesses, and uh, these guides are going to spell that out for you, help walk you through the process to determine what's your genealogical question, what's the right test for you, and what's the right company for you. Then, what do you do with the results? And if you've already got results, how can you take them even further? Uh, These quick reference guides are great resources for all that, so you'll find those in the store. 
And of course, speaking of the autosomal test, uh, if you head to the Genealogy Gem show notes for this episode number 173, you'll find a link there for a special offer from Ancestry. Uh, we are an affiliate of Ancestry, which means when you use our links on our web pages, you will be supporting the free Genealogy Gems podcast, and you'll also be getting a great deal. So you can check that out at genealogygems.com under podcast episode 173. And I, I want to leave you with just one more inspiring story. This one comes from theblaze.com, and it's called Couple Celebrates Astonishing 80 Years of Marriage. So what's their secret? An Oregon couple celebrated 80 years of marriage last week, recalling how they met and sharing their advice for a successful marriage. It all started with a Sunday school party in Albany. Erman Johnston remembered meeting the woman who would be his wife, saying she was one of two young ladies he escorted home after the party. Emma was the second of the two women he dropped off, and he told KVAL-TV he knew she was the one. She was a sweetie, and I was a farm boy who didn't know anything, Erman said. But Irma piped in and said she disagreed. Oh, yes, you did. He knew enough to pick me, she added. During the Depression on August 23rd, 1933, the pair were married. It was beautiful, Irma said. Fast forward through eight decades, the Johnstons now have three children, nine grandchildren, 19 great-grandchildren, and five great-great-grandchildren. Of course, the most popular question for a couple married for such a length of time had to be asked, what's the secret? While Irma said there is no secret, He and his wife did give the viewers some advice. Just keep living, Irma said, later adding, and behave yourself. And Irma says that communication is key. And I'll have this fabulous video of Irma and Irma Johnston in the show notes for you. Thank you so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon.